Good morning. I am Bex, and I'm speaking this morning. You're either in for a really great 20 minutes, or you've got 20 minutes to think about something else. No, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, um, we are in for a good 20 minutes. I've really enjoyed coming to this passage um, this week in a build-up. It's been a few years since I've spoken and done something like this where you've taken a verse and really thought about handing it over to someone else and it's actually been a real joy for me to have an excuse to hand Ted over to Dan and be like no I've got something else to do I've got to go away um so I really really did pray this week that not only I think part of my prayers started that I was going to be offering something that's right and then actually I reframed my prayers and thinking less about getting the right thing and more just getting about the thing that's going to speak to us this morning. So um, that's the sort of direction I've gone in this morning. Let's start by reading um, the verses. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse um, 6 all the way through to 18. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to, for the, given over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have this same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So this is, um, this is Paul's letter to um, the Corinthians, and this is the, I'm a bit worried that this um, stand can't quite take the weight of a Bible, ironically. <laughs> um, this is, this is Paul's letter um, to the Corinthians, this is his second letter, and um, for me, I've, I've um, titled this talk about the balance because actually what's jumped out to me in bringing this message was actually that there's quite a few things that you need to take into account and sort of weigh them up against each other. And for the first thing is, is actually coming to this text this morning and, and any text that we are going to come and pick up this Bible and try and gain an understanding from, we need to think about 
when it was written, why it was written, how comes those words have come about. So although we understand it all within the kind of realm of the Holy Spirit bringing about those words and actually them meaning sen- making sense for us today, we first need to understand that it was Paul writing to a group of people um, in the church that he set up 2,000-ish years ago. And um, so we're reading it this morning with a balance of then and our understanding of now. We're also then thinking about um, what's going to jump out of jump out of this this morning is actually the beauty of God and the beauty of the message that we all we all have a understanding of and the understanding that that's then been put in us and we are broken and we are we are not quite as beautiful as the message that we carry so the balance of actually what God's done in 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 making us the vessels of his message and equally, the balance that's highlighted in these verses about how we are we're charged to go out into the world with a really, really incredible, joyful message to send out to people, but it's not always going to be that high joy, that, that good, that positive, that success, and actually what Paul kind of tries to bring home this morning, within this message this morning is that it's not always a smooth ride, and actually... Like let's let's um, let's open our eyes to the fact that it'll be a bit of a bumpy road sometimes. So it's weighing up all of those things. Um, but let's start at the beginning of those and just think about the context of the letter. So Ben spoke um, on uh, two Corinthians last week as well, a little bit earlier on than this letter, and he he reminded us that actually, like I said, this letter is written to a group of people um, in Corinth 2,000 years ago, and they were a church that was, that was started by Paul. He was the founder. Um, and he is writing to them with sort of a direction and prompt and, and getting them geared up in a direction to keep going. And so his words really, really do apply to that group of people in that time. But we trust that in his, in his guidance for them, actually he was so well within the Holy Spirit that his his teaching remains relevant today. That Holy Spirit, we believe, bridges that gap between then and now. And actually, that's why when we come to the Bible, the most important thing we can do is just invite that Holy Spirit in again. We can invite that key in to just unlock those words because otherwise it could just be a history lesson of what was 2,000 years ago. But actually, as Christians, we believe the Holy Spirit changes all of that, of the relevance of what it can mean to us. There are some things in there that, um, oh, I've skipped forward a bit, hang on. So we, we, we believe that we can unite their world and our world, and we've got the Holy Spirit to do that. But there are some things in there that Paul references that actually did hit home a little bit more to the audience that he was initially thinking of. And he, um, he talks with them in a way that engages their minds within their world. But he also, even within that time, jumps back to other parts in the scripture. So when he says, in verse 6, and he says, light up the darkness, that's him jumping back even further in the Bible to Genesis with, with God's words speaking out to the, to the whole of planet Earth. And he's using this reference as a way to kind of help them understand that Holy Spirit coming into us. So he's, he's referencing that, that world bursting into light and life from, G, from God's words, that command for earth. 
And he's bringing that home to the people of Corinth, saying that 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 is that same God speaking those same words to you with that same relevance to you today. And so we carry that forward even 2,000 years and understand that that is still as strong today as it was then and then. And I think... um, What's really interesting is with the Bible, we have, we have a chance to really tap into a bit of history of these people and really learn about, effectively, our ancestors and where our, where our um, history comes from as a group of people, as us sitting here today. Paul, Paul uses the reference of um, jars of clay. And this is something that... Um, clay and pottery, it's a theme that goes throughout the Bible. It's a really, really beautiful kind of metaphor but he uses it here talking about jars of clay that hold such treasure of what God gives to us now I think and I've picked this apart a little bit I think he uses these jars of clay this reference because they they're an everyday item when Paul was sort of writing to that church he knew that nearly everyone that would be sitting in that congregation probably had a jar of clay at home. It was, it was an everyday item that was in everybody's house and it was used for every different type of thing, to hold your utensils at the cooker or over here you'd maybe put a few little trinkets in it or they were dotted around the house and they were, they were everywhere, they were very common. Therefore, there was not a person hopefully sitting in that audience that wouldn't know what Paul was talking about when he said, we are the jars of clay. He was trying to hit home to exactly everybody sitting in that audience here in that letter the jars of clay were fragile so they called for you to be quite gentle you couldn't sort of throw them about and just knock them around they did call for you to be quite gentle and thoughtful but then weighing that up against the fact that they were like I said common you could get them at the market they were something that actually were replaceable and thirdly they were made by hand For us, this sort of has a bit more significance today because we are living post-industrial revolution. Obviously, the people of Corinth, a lot of things were made by hand, so it didn't have as much significance back then. But the beautiful thing about pottery and the way that it often is an example used in the Bible is because we can relate that metaphor of clay and the potter to be a really... um, great description of what God is in his relationship with us so here the the idea that these these pots of clay were all made by hand, they had their slight individualities and their quirks and, and each one couldn't be exactly the same because hands can't make things exactly the same the way a machine might this metaphor of, of the clay being used to make something quite creative at the hands of a potter we kind of take that sentiment of actually God being the potter in this situation and moulding us and using us as just that lump of clay that's sort of dumped down on the table as a starting point. What I liked when I was reading a little bit about this is actually what jumped out to me, that 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 lump of clay can sit there and sit there and sit there and sit there and, and not become anything of itself There is no magic clay out there that sort of transforms itself, but what is taken are the materials at the hand of the potter, and in that kind of creative time where they're interacting, something beautiful can be worked out of that, can be moulded out of that. So that example of how God is working with us and transforming us into those jars of clay is something that is such a 
really beautiful description that Paul is equally using here for, for us and those people in Corinth to understand the, the gentleness of God and the kind of purpose of what he is doing with us. So now we get the, the metaphor and the understanding of the jars of clay. It begins to kind of sink in actually how absurd it is in a way that us being these jars of clay and God putting his message into us actually how that's quite a contradiction would you would you really put something so precious something so beautiful in something that actually could could fall apart that could not make it through that could not be the most dependable thing actually what's happening here and the significance of God's action is actually his He's taken a risk in us. We are the gamble here. We are the fragile pots of, of clay. We are breakable. We are fixable. But actually, we're not, we're not strong and sturdy all the way through. But God still comes in and says that he puts his message in our hearts, in the depths of our brokenness. And that's it. The real focus of this metaphor is the treasure that, that God's handing over to us inside our bodies. The verse that follows this slightly explains it better, um, and I've got it here in the message version. I don't think I've put it up on the slides. In the message version here it says, verse 7, that's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. By God's words and gospel message and, and everything that that is the treasure being put in us, us being quite ordinary, quite common, undecorated, maybe fragile in ourselves, that means that no one can mistake what is us and what is the message of God. Because if we, if we focus on us being frail and weak and just jars of clay, we miss the point of actually what God has done by completely entrusting us with such a gorgeous message, such a wonderful message of joy that can burst out as light in that command, when he says that light comes into the darkness, it floods the whole space, and actually us being weak and cracked and, and contrasting exactly what's been put in us is such a clear message of trust from God. He understands exactly what he was doing. If we were gorgeous and perfect and finished pieces, then actually we would detract from the gospel message that we are called to carry, to take to the world, to be messengers and carriers. And one of the reasons that he chooses us precisely as we are, in, in every form that we come in, in every individuality as that jar of clay, is because God doesn't look at us and think, I just want one type of person to carry my message. I just want a finished piece. I just want the spiritually elite or the mature or those that have really done enough church. God doesn't look at any of that. He just looks at the essence of us, clay formed into our bodies. He doesn't look at what we have done or what we have achieved or actually what our goals might be. God doesn't look into those parts. He, he has different, different parts of us that he can recognise and actually what Jesus has done in all of this has made up for the fact that, that we might not have put God first all the way through, that we might not have put the time into church or into Bible studies and all those things that could be tick boxes for us being perfect. Actually, what we've done is we've said, God, I trust in you. 
So now we know a bit about who we are, what do we do? We are, we are vessels, we are those jars of clay. And actually what Paul is trying to um, get his people, his, his church to understand is that there's that fragile kind of nature that you need to remember you are, but actually there's a goal here. We can't just be fragile pots that are sort of stacked up on that shelf and kept safe. We've got a purpose here and we've got, we've got a, a mission to go out into the world and not keep this little message nicely tucked up safe, but actually to spread it so that, that everyone is hearing that. Verse 8 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. I think when, when Paul wrote this, I think he, he really meant every word that he put into that. And I think knowing a little bit of Paul's um, life and how he came to faith and how he transitioned from quite literally one side to the other in his spiritual conversion, I really think that as he wrote those words, he knew what it meant to live through being persecuted but not abandoned and I think in how he's trying to convey that to his church he quite characteristically doesn't mince his words I think Paul is someone who is writing quite directly he knows the message that he's got to get across he knows what he's got to say to people in order for that message to sink in he believes that he has got that God-given authority to speak to those people and give them direction this is his second letter to the church. That's why we call it 2 Corinthians. He's already written one letter to them in perhaps a bit more of a um, compassionate, softer way. He's, he's kind of come across with a message to leave his church being able to stand on their own whilst he's you know, off doing a few other things. And actually, the, the response that he hears back is his people really kind of beginning to pick apart a bit of his authority kind of begin to say, yeah, we, we get the message, and yeah, that Jesus sounds good, and we'll, we'll keep going with him, but, but who are you to really say that to us? Because actually, like, before all of your lovely persecuted but not abandoned, you were the one persecuting us. That is Paul's backstory, is actually that he was, he was um, one of those people really going after um, the followers of Jesus, and actually, quite notoriously, a dog with a bone in terms of tracking down the people that were wanting to follow it, follow um, Christ. And he had quite a miraculous um, turnaround, change of events in coming to know exactly who Jesus was in his life and God's message for this world. They really, they really start to pick apart exactly whether Paul's authority is right within their church. And so this letter is him slightly going on the defence of his position as a pastor. And that's why we hear a little bit more about um, the message of suffering and the message of um, what it means to really sort of dig your heels in as a Christian and keep going. And I think Paul really begins to embody this sentiment of um, actually doing that all with, an, with a deeper understanding that you're doing it for a, for a higher meaning. You're having, having this suffering here on earth for a, for a different sort of cause. As I said, he used to go around being brash, being accusatory, being quite direct. And he holds on to a few of those characteristics, even when we see him being a follower of Christ. 
but he also walks with different intentions and obviously a different message, one that still has the same sort of urgency. He's still kind of really desperate to interact with people and convince them of his way, but a little bit more gentleness in understanding that he now comes, comes with an understanding and a message of just outrageous love for his people. The people who were receiving this letter were supposedly people of religion, so they had, they had been converted from different ways of, of religious backgrounds before coming to know about Jesus' um, death on the cross and sort of converting into being those early Christians. But their sort of previous religion had been a little bit more wild, a little bit, you know, more kind of offering um, sacrifices and rites, and actually their gatherings were supposedly a bit more of a hyped-up party. Um, and the messages that they might have been a bit more used to receiving were quite empowering, but supposedly with a lot less kind of weight of walking away and doing something, a lot less sort of responsibility, a lot less kind of, now you've heard this, here's my command for you to go out and do something about it. So actually, in, in coming to Nopal and coming to be this church, it was a bit of a hard pill to swallow to understand that you now actually had to do something about it all. And um, that there was this mission of spreading the word of Jesus further and farther and wide. And that actually, it might not be received that nicely. You might actually come up against other people who weren't going to agree with you. So I think part of what we're seeing in this letter is Paul really trying to kind of convince them or, or write to them with passing on an understanding that we, all know, we are all united by the fact that what we believe in is, is good and it is good, good news and it is forever. It's, you know, it runs on way longer than just our lives here and our suffering here. But let's acknowledge the fact that if things aren't going right, that doesn't take away from the message that we carry. If our clay starts to be a little bit more fragile, that's us, but the message inside stays strong and stays pure and stays good. And maybe for you, it is a bit of a, a hard pill to swallow here um, in hearing this. And actually, you know, we're on the second week of hearing a little bit about suffering. <laughs> and um, it's not always an easy um, passage to pick apart or an easy... Um, talk to give in understanding what suffering looks like in the place of our lives now but that's partly why I've really wanted to hone in the fact that there's a balance to all of this so we've understood that we've come to this knowing that initially this this talk from Paul was given to a group of people but we know a higher a higher kind of power in God in that Holy Spirit element of of the God trio, that brings it into our lives today with meaning. So we read it understanding Paul and his people, and we read it knowing that there is something in there that God is still wanting to drive home to us today. We read it with a balance of knowing who we are. You know more about yourself sitting in that chair this morning than anyone else around you. You know your brokenness and your weakness and all the things that you would never offer up to God in terms of being useful. And yet we read it this morning knowing God still puts that message deep, deep inside your heart. He hopes that um, carrying on that, carrying that light with inside you, carrying that message, still... He doesn't, he doesn't look at you and think, actually, no, that message might not sit quite as nicely inside of you. He puts it in there despite all of that, despite all of you. So we carry it with a balance of who we are, 
and actually what God calls us to. And we read this again with a balance of accepting that good news, whether we've, whether we've been in faith long and we really know everything that we're talking about this morning and every part of that Bible and all these stories, or whether we're reading it this morning coming a little bit fresh to the good news and fresh to the story of Jesus and actually what that means to us. We read it with the balance of accepting the good news whilst acknowledging that actually that doesn't bring us a smooth ride in life. That doesn't lay down a sheet of a slip and slide so we just keep going. It's still the same track to keep walking in this, this life, but actually with a bigger understanding of what's coming at the end of that. And that's a whole other message in itself for a whole other Sunday. Lastly, I just want to say, the Bible isn't saying, and Paul isn't saying, none of this message is trying to drive home that there must be suffering. And if you're sitting there this morning thinking, flipping heck, I have not suffered like I'm reading about. I have not had persecution. I have not felt abandonment or, or any of those things to any kind of degree. The Bible isn't saying that there must be suffering, so, so really go out there and find it. But it's trying to acknowledge, and what Paul's trying to get across to his people here and us today, is actually that you will come across it, because that is life. Life will still be difficult. But if suffering is what it takes to spread the word of Jesus so that everyone here knows that at the end we've got heaven to go to because of what Jesus has done. We've got a, an eternal life with God. If suffering's what it takes to get that message spread absolutely everywhere, then you better sign yourself up for some suffering because hopefully that's what we want everybody to know the story of Jesus. So I think Paul's inviting us here to really kind of bear the brunt of some suffering, to acknowledge it alongside the God we know and the good news that we carry. And what I'm trying to encourage us to do here this morning is to really pray into where that balance lies for you. If reading the Bible is really difficult to pick apart any sort of message for yourself, if you go home and you just read it and you think, I just don't get it, then understand it as a weight of scales. And actually what you need is to have God with you in reading that to understand what's historic context and what's for us. And I think also just to pray into the balance of what it means to carry the joy of God with us and understanding that that joy kind of dips and wavers as we go through life. The word balance has just really rung out so loudly for me this week. And I don't know if that word means anything to anyone here this morning, but that's what I would ask you to just pray into as maybe you go back over these verses at another point this week.